Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hello, Global Investor listeners. Before we start today's show, I want to let you know about Belgrad Homes in Tyler, Texas. They're offering newly constructed 130 square meter, 1400 square foot homes for $145,000. They are offering financing to U.S. and foreign investors for 30 years at 6% interest with a 30% down payment. If you're interested, please contact BelgradHomes.com, spelled B-E-O-G-R-A-D Homes.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Darren Batchelder, and Darren is a loan portfolio specialist who has invested passively in 14 syndications and has recently gone to the more active side of syndications with um, some different roles. And uh, we're going to go through those here on the show. So thank you so much for being on the show, Darren. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Charles. Looking forward to it. Yeah, great. So what was your professional background prior to starting your current business and investing in real estate? Um, so I kind of hopped around a few different career paths. I started out at a, at a college. I started out as a CPA with Pricewaterhouse and, and then moved on to uh, PepsiCo within their audit division, uh, both domestic and international. And then I transitioned into software sales, so selling larger ERP software applications to Fortune 1000 companies. Uh, from there, I transitioned into uh, mortgage capital markets uh, trading desk, so more institutional um, s- selling, and that was working for a large bank called uh, AB and AMRO. They're a Dutch bank at the time; they were a top twenty worldwide bank, and uh, we were reselling the bank's uh, origination at both uh, full doc jumbo residential as well as multifamily uh, loans as well, and it was it was bank to bank type deals. From there, I went and started my own business doing the same thing in 2007. I still have that business, uh, but I wanted to get into the real estate side. And about two years ago, I started to, to look into um, getting into real estate and, and both on the passive and on the active side. Interesting. So why did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle? You know, I, I think for a number of different reasons, um, but one of them was I fell into the camp of, you know, get a good job, make good money, put it aside, put it into the stock market and, and it is just going to grow. Right. Um, that's what we're all, we're all sold and, um, you know, just build up the big nest egg and, you know, it did grow over time and I, and I've done well financially, but it just didn't grow to the point that, that I had expected over, I just turned 50 last year. So, um, you know, it had plenty of years to compound. And when I started to look into real estate and, and educate myself on that side, it just seemed like a much better way to grow your wealth. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're getting the, not only the passive income and the income that you can build upon, but you're also getting the wealth, but you're also getting the time freedom and um, it's a lot faster. There's more income streams with real estate versus others, you know, typically with equities and securities. So. Right. And you're, and you're getting leverage, you know, leverage in a number of different 
different areas, and it's a very tax efficient way to invest as well. So, so those are all um, learning points that I've learned since getting involved, and um, and I'm I'm happy <laughs> that I'm doing it now. That's for sure. So uh, before we get into like your real estate investing, I want to just learn a little bit more about what your company uh, TZK Capital does. And I was looking at it that you're dealing with uh, buyers and sellers of um, portfolios. Can you explain a little bit more? I know you touched on it previously. Sure. So when I was at AB and Amro, and this is dating back to 2002 to 2006, they were a top five residential jumbo originator. And uh, they didn't want to keep the port loans on their books. So they, rather than sell it to Wall Street to put it in securities, um, I was part of a, a trading desk that would call on other banks to sell the loans direct to other banks. Um, and we were doing that for both residential and multifamily loans. When I mm. TZK Capital, um, I formed to do basically the same thing, um, but I didn't have the loans. So I had to find both sides. So what we do is, is we work with um, large banks as well as regional banks and community banks. And we, we work with banks that are looking to sell loans and then we find buyers of, of loans. But we, we're dealing only with bank to bank transactions and focus on residential loans, multifamily loans and commercial real estate loans. So you're dealing with buyers and sellers on both sides of the loans. What do you see over the next, I mean, we're, we're deep in COVID right now um, in mid 2020. What do you see for the next six to 12 months of real estate lending? Let's just say for commercial real estate lending and multifamily. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have different cycles, you know, in the economy and, and COVID is definitely, um, impacted the economy in a negative way. And everybody kind of knew that the economic cycle was due to end at some point, and we just didn't know what was going to cause it. Um, and now we're in, in the middle of the crisis. Well, what happens when you're in a, in a downturn is you're going to have, you know, loans that will go bad, right? And, and you'll have banks, you know, so, Bank, the banking industry is in a much better place today than they were back in the 2008 crisis. Um, back then, you know, the situation was a lot of banks didn't have a lot of capital. And so um, I, when I started my business, it was all about uh, large banks wanting to deleverage their balance sheet and sell loans to raise cash. And um, our business focused on clean credit quality performing loans where a lot of you know private equity firms were looking to bid 30 40 cents on the dollar we were going to these large financial institutions and saying look we have relationships with banks that that want to buy um, strong assets and we can we can sell loans for you without you taking a loss but you're going to have to sell your better loans so um, that that was the business and then after a number of years go by you know banks get recapitalized and they they're in a better position they don't have the need to sell their better loans. So to answer your question, I think that, you know, as time goes on, you're going to have more and more loans that are going to, you know, be in trouble and banks are going to have to decide whether to foreclose on those assets. Um, and then, you know, what they do with them. Banks typically don't want to manage those assets. So they're, they're going to want to turn around and sell those, um, you know, either as troubled loans or they're going to look to foreclose and then sell the asset. Okay. 
Interesting. Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be, I've seen it now with getting, looking at smaller mortgages, like around um, a $900 million right now for commercial multifamily. And it's just, it used to be the 25%. Um, and now you're starting to hear brokers saying now it's 30% down, now it's 35% down. It's just getting, I think everybody's getting a little bit more conservative um, with, I know with the agency debt, Fannie and Freddie, they're now going much longer on the reserves that are required which we didn't see even last year or a few months ago. So, right. That's the, that's the biggest talk that in, that I hear in the multifamily industry is, is um, because the agencies, you know, Fannie and Freddie are such a big part of multifamily lending. And, um, you know, pretty much immediately once COVID happened, you know, they changed their, their requirements and, and it really was like almost no reserves for, you know, um, and they were just let, they were determining what the, the LTV was based on the cash flow of the property. But now they're, you know, they're requiring anywhere from 12 to 18 months reserves, which makes, makes a deal very difficult um, to give investors the returns, you know, the forecasted returns that you that everybody's looking for. Um, so the talk that I'm hearing is that, you know, the opportunities most likely will come in the area of uh, loan assumptions, you know, mm-hmm. and loan assumptions, you're not going to have have those same reserve requirements. Um, you know, it's going to come in the, in the name of other um, properties that were, were done with bridge loans. And yeah. from what I'm hearing, a lot of the bridge lenders are not renewing, you know, those commitments. So if it was a three year, uh, plus one, plus one, you know, when they get to the end of the three years, if they're, if they're coming into that time frame now, a lot of those bridge lenders are not extending for that one year. And so that's putting them in a little bit of a bind. So those are the types of opportunities that we see potentially coming down the path in the next six, six to 12 months. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Everything is just tightening up. Uh, we've been pushing some of the sellers that we've go straight to on the smaller multifamily side have been, uh, we've been talking owner financing with them because the assumption works well, but it's, it's, I mean, it's very, it's pretty difficult to get approved for the assumption on one of those agency debts. I mean, it might even be harder than going and get one yourself. You know what I mean? With the amount of documentation that they require you to, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I think it depends on what, what part of the market you're focused on. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're focused on smaller multifamily, you know, four unit, eight unit, 12 unit, it's a different, you know, mindset and a a different, um, you know, loan set. But what I'm in, I'm more focused on larger multifamily. So um, the group that, you know, I'm associated with and a lot of the syndicators that, that I associate with are focused on, you know, 60 unit and greater. A lot of them are 100, 200 unit plus. Well, in that, you know, in that world, agency debt is still, you know, predominantly the the financing of choice um and if you know the agencies can get comfortable with the new buying group and the new buying group is as strong or stronger than the existing you know um buying group then why would they not want to you know transfer that now a new guy buying large-scale multifamily in my experience, you're just not going to win the deal. You know, you have to partner with 
experienced guys. So, you know, if you want to get into that larger um, unit uh, property, then you, you know, you find, you go build relationships with other partners that already have experience there. Yeah, for sure. It's um, we were just, we were talking about agency and property that we had under LOI, uh, 130 units and um, just reserve requirements are now yeah. 12 months plus. And um, it's just, you really have to figure out exactly, kind of go back and um, sharpen the pencil a little bit through your numbers to see exactly how you can close on it. But um, very I think, difficult you know, right now to do new debt. That's why mm-hmm. I mentioned uh, yeah. assumption. So if that, if that property had agency debt on it already, and you can assume that loan and you have a strong buying group, um, you know, I don't see why that, you know, you can't pursue it from there, but I don't know the particulars of your deal. Yeah, no, it, it was just it, not to get too specific, yeah. but it was just something that was, um, they do have agency debt on it now. The thing though, is that with one of the brokers that we usually go through loan brokers, they were telling us, uh, they were going through the process with us and he was explained to us a little bit more difficult, which I've heard from other brokers, but we have a pretty solid buying group. So I don't think it'd be any problem, but we're going back. The main thing is the reserves. It's not really going back and that thing. It's, uh, you know, making sure the reserves work because now that you're raising another few months, yeah. right? I mean, that can, that really narrows your, really constricts the returns to the investors. So you just have to make sure you got to go back and, you know, so. Completely agree. So you're a passive investor in 14 syndications, 4,000 units. Um, how did you get started in passive investing? Were you working full time um, while you're doing that? Uh, was it just a, you know, another way of just supplementing income or was it a way of getting you into the whole uh, active role now that you guys are playing? So in the fourth quarter, 2017 is when I decided that I wanted to get involved with real estate. I didn't want to do single family fix and flips. I wanted to do larger um, deals. So I went searching out for a way to do that. And I, I joined a multifamily mentorship group based here in Dallas, um, Brad Sumrock group. That's where I met a lot of other syndicators. Uh, that's where I met uh, my partner on, on my first sponsorship deal, uh, Raj Gupta out of Chicago. And um, he's got a ton of experience and, and I wouldn't have, you know, I'm, I'm convinced I would not have won that deal had I not partnered with somebody um, you know, that had the caliber of, of an experience of, of somebody like Raj. So um, I joined that group at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, I started to invest passively. Okay. I, pa- I invested in seven different deals. Um, some of those deals were multi um, property deals. And that's probably where you get the, the 14 properties. Um, and then I had one sponsorship deal. It took me a year to, to land my first deal as an active lead sponsor. And then since then, um, you know, I've been out chasing new deals, runner up on three deals in the last year. It's very competitive. And then I partnered with uh, two other very well-established um, gentlemen that I know here in the Dallas area for a very, very, very small minority stake in the deal. Um, on like a 200 plus unit deal. So, um, you know, the whole thing is just getting yourself out there, building relationships, you know, building relationships with other syndicators, uh, building relationships with investors and building relationships with brokers and with finance companies. And uh, that's kind of the name of the game. So what do you look for in an operator when you're, when you're investing passively? 
Um, so I look for people that have a track record. Um, the seven deals that I invested in, you know, the, the reason for my investments may have, may be different from other people. You know, you, each person has to determine what's important to them, right? Some, some people, you know, the most important thing is, look, I want a deal that has, you know, really, really, really strong cash flow, or I want a great location, or um, I want it to be in my backyard. You know, those, those could all be factors. For me, I knew I wanted to go the active route. So um, there were different, I, I was trying to, um, one, pull money out of the stock market because I felt like multifamily passive investing was, was a stronger investment play than being in the stock market. Um, and then secondly, I wanted to learn. Okay. So, and I wanted to build my resume for the active side. So, you know, this, it's kind of funny. Um, in this world, it's a little silly that people talk in terms of how many units do you own? Right. Um, and everybody kind of uses that as a braggadocious thing. So I saw that, you know, very early on, I think it's kind of dumb because you could invest 50,000 into a, you know, 50 unit deal or 80 unit deal, or you could invest 50,000 into a 300 unit deal, right? It's still $50,000 investment. Um, but I saw how it was played. So part of my investments were I was seeking out large unit deals so that it bolstered my resume. Um, and, but I wanted to do it with operators that had a strong reputation. So I talked to other syndicators and I talked to other passive investors I met and asked them where they've had success. And so then I kind of reached out to those syndicators, got on their investor database. And then as they um, landed new deals, they would email out to their investor database and I was now included. So then I started to invest from that perspective. So when in those, in those passive investments, I always like to ask um, anybody that's been a limited partner before what they liked in what they liked and then what they could have, what they would, would have liked to see. So one thing I hear most is communication. Yeah, I think communication and transparency is is what most passive investors are looking for, and and performance. You know, so yeah. so um, some people, you know, may not be happy with the communication, but if they're getting ten percent, you know, dividends annually, then they're like, I'm okay with it, right? <laughs> so, um, or if they had put money into a deal and then within three years they doubled their money. They're like, you know what? The communication wasn't the best, but you know, they, he made me money. So, so most people will talk about, they want communicate, you know, good communication. They want transparency. They want to know the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's going on at the property. Um, but I think when the rubber hits the road, it, people will also trade for performance, you know? So, those two, those two factors. Um, but you know, I remember my first passive deal and I, and I had the capacity, like I did seven deals. I had the capacity to do, you know, multiple, multiple deals, but I remember it would, you know, it's still scary doing that first investment, you know, actually wiring the money, signing the documents and then wiring the money for the first time. And I remember I wired the money, and I kind of expected to, to get a immediate response from the sponsor. 
Hey, Darren, man, we, we got your, we got your funds. You're good. Thank you. You know? And it was like silence. Right. So like after like an hour, I'm, I email and I hear nothing. Right. Then I send a text and I hear nothing. I'm like, Holy cow, what's going on? So then I call and then, and then they send me back a message saying, Hey, here's the deal. Our bank, I can see all the deposits come into my bank, but I can't see who it's from until the next morning. So, you know, tomorrow morning I'll confirm, you know, your receipt. So I'm like, okay, well, at least I know the process. And then the next morning, sure enough, they, they responded back. Hey, we got your funds. We confirmed it. And then, you know, I had comfort, right? Um, but I think where the sponsor could have done better and what I did with, with my investment group because of my experience is when I received the paperwork and, and told them, you know, here's how to wire the funds, I gave them that expectation. Hey, when you send the money, I am not going to be able to see and confirm to you until tomorrow. Because I think that's important, you know, if it, especially that first time um, when, when you don't know and you're kind of doing something for the first time, it's scary. Yeah, especially with there's so much, um, I was just watching a YouTube video on it from different title companies and they're saying the amount of fraud that is prevalent in right. with closing, with the wire transfers, with everything. So it's something where, you know, you get that wire transfer and you're like, I, yeah, I have no idea who it's from, but we received it. This is the right account because you usually get it within an hour, but right. it's also, they're closing a lot of people. So they have, you know, 50 or hundred thousand, which is the normal number or whatever coming in multiple times because they're telling everybody, Hey, you got to wire in now we're closing whenever. And, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. I well, wired I over and then the like same, two days later I heard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I use the same bank as the, is for, for my, our syndication. Um, and I found that the process was exactly that I would see, the deposits hit, but I wouldn't see the detail until the next morning. So it was exactly what the sponsor, you know, the first sponsor had told me. Um, but, you know, just communication is, is extremely important, you know? Yeah. It's also the amount of communication too. So for some of the passive investments I've done is that you get like a, a one page type uh, email or report and you can read it in a few minutes, you know, exactly what's going on. It's got the bullet points on it. it takes you, you know, your you're, you're done with it in a few minutes, you know, what's going on. And, um, if you have questions, you can always reach out to them, but if everything's within line of what you understood, I mean, it's a pretty simple, pretty simple update. And just knowing that, Hey, we're collecting rent and this is what it is. And expenses are a hundred dollars more and rents $200 more. And then we right. expect it. And, you know, I think so. everybody has different expectations, mm -hmm. you know, from my standpoint, um, I actually like to read the commentary in the email. And I don't really, I really don't want to, they send me the financial reports, right? They send me the P and L and the balance sheet. And, and I'm looking at that very closely on my, on the deal that I'm the lead sponsor on. But when I'm a passive, I really don't want to spend a ton of time clicking on reports mm -hmm. and analyzing them. So that's where for me, I, I appreciate the transparency and the commentary that comes in the email um, rather than just, Hey, property's doing great. You know, here are the reports. Truck on. You know, well, I don't really feel like opening the reports and analyzing them, right? Um, but again, at the at the end of the day, I may have one of those investments, and if the performance is great, I'll, I'll you know probably be like, 
okay, maybe the monthly updates aren't the best, but they made me money. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Just it, every, every syndicator, every operator has a different way of how they handle investors. And obviously they're attracting investors that will be reinvesting with them that like that, depending on what their profession is and their, you know, how detailed they like to be with it. But, um, so you've kind of gone to a more active role. Can you describe the couple deals? You said you had one, you had a minority share in, um, I take it. These are all in Texas. Is that correct? Um, yes, both, both of the, uh, in Texas, the, the one that I was a lead sponsor on. Um, so, you know, I, I started investing passively at the same time I started to, you know, work towards, um, becoming an active investor and, you know, there's a lot of steps that are involved and each step is a little scary at first. And then you get used to that step and you have to move on to the next one. And, and it took, um, you know, from joining the multifamily group kind of December, 2017, we were awarded the first sponsorship deal in September, 2018. So it took us about nine months and I had bid on a number of transactions before that, um, and was not awarded the deal. Um, but nine months to land the deal. And then, and then uh, we closed that deal in December. So a few months to, to raise the money and, and close the deal. And it's funny. I remember the first um, deal that I put an offer in and I came home and my wife was like, you know, what's going on? I'm like, just put the offer in. And it was a 60, I think it was a 64 unit in Denton. And um, she's like, you excited? I'm like, I'm scared shitless. <laughs> She's like, what, what you've been working so hard. Why, you know, why I'm like, what if they accept it? Like I, you know, the first offer going out, I still wasn't completely a hundred percent confident whether, you know, the underwriting we were doing was appropriate or not. And then I got outbid by like three, 400,000 by, you know, two people. And I, I said, okay, we're not, you know, we're not far off um, in terms of, we're not overpaying. That's, that's the point that I didn't want to have happen was I didn't want to overpay. Um, so each, each step is a learning process and you kind of have to have faith and, um, determination and perseverance. And, um, but I love the business. I love the business because, you know, you, you brought up early on TZK capital, you know, that business I formed and, and all the profits come to, you know, company that's owned by myself and my wife. So it comes to my family, right? Um, but the syndication business is, com is completely different. So the 76 unit deal that we closed on at the end of 2018, that was a $6 million purchase. And it was myself and, and my business partner, Raj Gupta. And then we had 44 limited partners. So what's exciting to me is, you know, for the last year and a half, you know, we've, we're growing the net operating income of the property and, um, the property's doing, doing phenomenal. We're, you know, um, you know, way above our rent projections. And, um, but what's exciting is that, you know, when we sell that deal for a profit, we're not just making money for myself and Raj, like we're helping grow the wealth of 44 other limited partners. And, before getting involved in this multifamily group, I had no idea that you can do this. You know, I had, so now I'm completely charged up about the future and just getting the word out and letting more people know that they can get involved in these large, you know, real estate transactions. And I, 
you know, that, that word syndication can be kind of a scary word to a lot of people, but it's just people pooling their money to buy a larger asset. And so, you know, I want to get the word out and let, let more people know. I wish somebody had introduced me to this way back when, um, even when, you know, maybe I wasn't going to take an active role, but I was making good money and I didn't want to put it all into the stock market, but didn't know what else to do with it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I wish I'd got involved in syndications more earlier on in my multifamily investing career because people would ask me, they see what you're doing, you know, just friends and family and, Hey, you know, how can I get invited? You know, how can I do it? And you kind of, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't want to steer them the wrong way. Like this is not when you're, when you're actively involved in a property you're it's not a passive role, even though right. the income comes in passively, there's a lot of management, the asset management with the property manager, um, dealing with all that stuff, getting calls for larger repairs and stuff like this. And the weekly call with your property management company, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's a lot of, I mean, it's buying a business, you know what I mean? And I think you right. steer a couple, a lot of people in the wrong direction, you know, saying, hey, you know, I, you probably don't want to do this. I mean, I mean, it's just, and I didn't have the way of doing it with bringing them in as a limited partner and stuff like this, which is, makes it so much, so much more powerful because now you can offer it to busy people or people that actually want to receive passive income, which is really the truly the only way in real estate to receive passive income. I mean, there's not, actively owning a place will never be a hundred percent passive, you know? So. Right. But, but you, but you can scale mm -hmm. and which, which is because you, you know, in these large multifamily deals, there's so much leverage. Okay. And leverage can be, you know, a scary thing. Um, but it also can, can really boost returns and also, uh, so you're leveraging, you know, the lender is putting up, you know, 70, 75, you know, they were doing 80%. I don't think they're going to be doing that uh, probably in the, in the near term. Um, but you're also, if you have full-time property management, you know, on site, you know, our property, we have a full-time leasing manager and a full-time uh, maintenance person, then you're leveraging a third-party property management company too. So yes, there's a, still a lot involved with getting the deal done, with raising the capital, you know, day-to-day uh, -day management, but it frees up a lot of your time where you can go after the next deal and you could really scale um, versus if you were buying a, you know, 12 unit deal and you're managing it yourself, it's yeah. very difficult to scale because it just sucks up all your time. Yeah, no, for sure. And then you're getting called on every small thing. If you have the system in place, like you're saying for the scaling and you have the on-site people, um, I mean, that just makes it because they're taking so much off your plate. They're going to handle all the marketing. Correct. They're going to handle all the leasing. Um, you're not paying a ton of money for every new lease. Since you have someone, you might just pay them a bonus of, you know, 50 or 75 bucks per new lease. So it's, it's actually, it's very, the scales of economy, it's very efficient when running it at that, at that point. But it's also... Once you get a running, it's fine. It's just, you know, finding the deal. And that's why having the partners, like you were saying, right, is right. someone finds money mainly, someone finding deals, because just either one of those is a full-time job. Yeah, yeah. So I was on, a, on another podcast recently and, and somebody was talking about going from passive to active and, and they used the word like easy. And I could tell that you, you, do, you are not of that camp. And I was like, I would not call it easy. It's definitely not easy, but- it's exciting. And the real estate world is, is completely, um, you know, I mentioned that I kind of jumped around to a few, a 
through a few different industries. Um, but the real estate industry is the first industry I've been a part of where there's so much sharing of information and there's so many people that want to help the next guy. I had so many people help me get my first deal and you know, I can't tell you how many calls I'm on with, with people that reach out to me on Instagram that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help and give guidance to the next guy. And it's just very open. And, um, I, I love that. Every, there's a, there's a very big ab- abundance mindset with real estate investors. Yes. And I think everybody that's successful in this level of real estate investing, when you start syndicating properties, not really the mom and pop stuff, um, they know that it's more, it has to be a team sport. There's no way you're going to hit that the next level um, without working with other people, without, um, you know, sharing it, having the abundance mindset. And um, yeah, that's why it's great being part of different groups. Like you're part of a mentor group, uh, being part of a mastermind group, stuff like this and sharing those ideas and sharing your experiences. So you're talking about, what about for your first deal? You're talking about that. Like, so for the first couple of deals, what you're in your experience, what were some of the issues you had? Um, I mean, there's probably a ton of them, but just pick a couple that you think and like over, how'd you overcome them? So to win the deal or to, or after the deal is closed? <laughs> Either on. I mean, closing the deal. I mean, obviously that's when, when you get accepted, that's when it really starts, you know, the LOI gets accepted, but yeah. Um, you know, I guess a few things. One is, you know, leading up to and winning the first deal, there's a lot of different steps and each step could be scary. And, you know, learning how to push past the fear is, is something that I'm a big proponent of. Um, there's a lot of people that just let fear stop them and, um, or, just want to, um, education is good. Reading books on multifamily and listening to podcasts and, and talking with other people. But at some point you have to actually make the decision to do it. And when, you know, the first time you do it, you're not going to be perfect at it. Right. So, um, calling brokers, right? Well, Hey, Mr. Broker, this is Darren. I'd like to do a property tour on this hundred unit deal. Well, what do you own? well, I don't own anything, but I really think that I'm a good fit for this, right? So, you know, you kind of stumble through the first few on how you um, let that broker know that even though you don't have a deal that, you know, hey, I'm part of this mentorship group and I'm partnering with other experienced people. And, you know, we already have indications from a lot of uh, passive investors that they have interest. So raising the capital, you know, and it doesn't appear to be an issue and you know all those so that's one scary part then the other underwriting deals right well okay how do you underwrite a deal and at first you're not that good at it and the more deals you underwrite the more comfortable you get I mentioned that I was scared you know that first time putting in the letter of intent well the next deal that was like a four million dollar deal the next deal I put an offer in on was um, double the size. It was an $8 million deal, but I had, I had done so much underwriting that I was like, holy cow, this is a great deal. And, and I just came in at like full um, listing price, but they, they already had locked in a buyer. Um, I tried to, to get them to move our way, but it didn't happen. But I jumped on it very quick because I had looked at so many other deals that where the numbers didn't work, you know? So um, you get comfortable with that. And then, 
you know, when you finally get the deal, you have all these people that say that they're interested in investing with you, but you don't really know if, are they going to invest or not? You know, mm -hmm. so you, you put the deal under contract and then you present the deal out to, uh, to investors and it's kind of a leap of faith, you know, um, that, you know, you've got the deal and the money will come. Well, at first, like the first week we, we raised like 65%. I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is pretty easy. <laughs> that last 30, 35%, you know, took some, some hard work, like calling people, following up and, and, uh, but we got the deal done. And, and now a lot of the investors that are in the deal are, you know, they're very thankful that they're part of the deal. They, you know, you know, they like the transparency and the communication and, and, um, you know, I hope to work with them on, on future deals going forward. Yeah. I know what you mean by that. We had a $2 million raise on, um, a syndication we did last year and, um, the beginning started off and you had investors that were waiting to invest. And then, like you said, and then you have the final part of it and you're like, all right, well, we got to, and we're, you know, you're having the, uh, every, I think it was like every night or every other night we're having calls, to the GPs, like, what are we doing? Like, how are we going to raise this? What else do you have? Like, uh, right how can we do this? Like, you know what I mean? But you, you got to get it done. And then, but then the confidence always comes when you're putting the offer. in. so you knew you had the confidence already because you had already underwritten in there. So like, I know for that property, we got a great deal on that. I would go back now if that same deal came to us. Um, I mean, I would pay five, 6% more or whatever for that, for that property because I knew like we got it, we had gotten a great price on it. And right. you'd be very confident going in because you know exactly what the market is. You know exactly everything around it. You probably know that property so intimately after you know underwriting and then after owning ones too in that area and then you're like oh i know everything i buy it for not you know eighty thousand. anything under is great anything over you know has to be this and that excellent point you know i um when we put together the business plan you know i had rent um projections that were obviously higher than the existing rent rent because we were going to improve the property both on the exterior and the interior um, and we developed that those rent projections based on looking at other properties in the area. Um, but there's still no guarantee, right? When you go to execute. So I was confident, but I also was like, okay, I haven't done this before. And until I see it happen, you know, I don't know, um, if it's actually going to come to fruition. And, um, thankfully, you know, we, we surpassed, our, our rent projections. So, so it turned out, you know, in our favor and in our investors favor. So, so Darren, what do you think some of the factors are that you and your team have implemented in, uh, in your life and business that have led to your success? Um, I'm a big prof proponent of pushing past the fear and taking action. You know, I, I like to learn, I like to learn and educate myself um, but I believe that I, I think there's a lot of people that they will just keep in that learning phase and won't take action. And from most of the books I read and different uh, things I see on successful people, whether it's running a fortune 500 company or whether it's being a big time real estate investor or starting up a tech company, whatever, they have to make decisions with, without all the data. Yeah. You know, they try to accumulate as much data as they can, and maybe they have 40% data, 60% data, 70% data, but then they have to make a decision based on, on that. And, and I think a lot of people get hung up on, 
um, trying to be a 100% certain. And I don't think that that's out there. You know, it's, analysis it's, paralysis. Correct. Yeah. No, I see that all the time with people. Uh, and it's just kind of like, you got to do the first one, you got to put it out there and you got to be consistent too when you're doing it. And, um, you know, put out those LOIs, start meeting those people, go to one meetup. I mean, now it's a little different, but before go out to one meetup a week or go right. out to one a month or uh, go that, to a conference That even here. is a scary step, right? Oh, the, yeah. first, the first time of going to a meetup, you don't know anybody you don't, and, and you don't know that much about real estate and like, okay, are they going to judge you because you don't know? And then you get there and you realize, look, they just want to help you and just, you know, be real and build relationships and they want to help you from, you know, from start. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Well, how can our listeners learn more about you and your company? Um, best way to reach me probably is, is through social media is, is, um, Instagram. I'm on Instagram at batch elder Darren. Uh, you could private message me there. Uh, or you can email me at D at TZK properties.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'll put all those links into the show notes and uh, for the podcast and for this YouTube. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely, Charles. I loved it and uh, have a great week. Thank you. You too. All right. Take care. Hi guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.